0: Happy 4th of July. Oh, that's just, uh, there we go. Uh, you know, I, I'm in the spirit. I'm red, white, and blue. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I just embrace it. Uh, I'm, you know, quite honestly, you know, I'm a, a retired Army chaplain. I love um, being an American. Um, back in 1983, some of you young people don't remember that, but that's okay, I do. Back in 1983, there was a song that came out, and then it was re-released during the Gulf War, and it was by Lee Greenwood, and here's what the chorus goes, and it just makes me feel good, even just saying the words of the chorus, I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free, and I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me. And I'd gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. <laughs> you know, it does just kind of make my heart and my, my chest swell a little bit. To, yeah, I'm proud to be American. Of course, I was raised in Texas and I'm proud to be a Texan too, but that, that's quite honestly subservient to being an American. Um, I've been wearing a uniform just about my entire life. I was a Cub Scout followed by a Boy Scout, loving the United States of America. Then I became a, an officer in the Air Force for seven years, got out, went to seminary, pastor to church, and then came back in as an Army chaplain for over 25 years. I've worn the flag on my uniform, I feel good about being an American. When I was in high school, I would go out, I played trumpet, still do, I would take my trumpet, I would walk out to the middle of the basketball court, and before the basketball games, I would do a trumpet solo, the national anthem. Just. Fun memories. I was at uh, Theater in the Park. Does anyone know where Theater in the Park is? Uh, I see a few hands. Uh, theater in the Park is a wonderful outdoor community theater down in Shawnee. And um, <clears throat> before they do the theater, they play the national anthem. And I was just standing at attention, looking at her flag with my hand over my chest and I did. I got a little teary-eyed remembering things. As an army chaplain, I was deployed six times in Iraq and Afghanistan and oversaw over 50 memorial ceremonies of the men and women who died over there. And it just brings back pride and, and at the same time just an amazement at what our young people do and continue to do well as I think about America we're going to share a story this morning and in order because we've got kids in the room if you're a kid or you're a kid at heart stand up Jim okay I know that Jim is a kid at heart. You know, I look around and see all the people that think they're old. (laughs) No, be a kid at heart. Stand, come on, stand. Uh, This is a fill in the blank. I'm going to say something and you fill in the blank. Are you ready? Jonah and the? Again, Jonah and the? And one more time, volume way up here. Jonah and the? Oh man, We're, this is kids' gig all over again. You can sit down. Uh, now everyone's participated, or at least those who recognize that they're still a kid at heart. Jonah is an interesting story. And in order to really embrace it, I want to reflect back on the last series that was just completed last month. And the question that was raised is can I trust the Bible? When it comes to stories like Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and the big fish, a lot of people say, oh, that that could not have happened. And yet, the New Testament, Jesus has something to say. See, the, the, the series truth last month was, because of Jesus' resurrection, I can have confidence in the scriptures for how I live and how I believe and what I believe. The the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is overwhelming. And quite honestly, as I have spent many years reading God's Word, the evidence for every part of God's Word, beginning to end, is overwhelming. So, let's take a look at what Jesus had to say about Jonah. In Matthew 12, it says this, But Jesus replied, You want a sign because you are evil and won't believe. But the only sign you will get is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Isn't that interesting? Jesus declares Jonah to be part of history. And then not only does he do that, he talks about the history of Jonah. He says, He was in the stomach of a big fish for three days and nights just as the Son of Man will be deep in the earth for three days and nights. Not only did he say that Jonah was part of history, but he reflected and said, just like Jonah, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. That is pretty profound. That really brings on the truth of this. The story of Jonah can be trusted because jesus validated its truth i will let them put that up there i'll say it again the story of jonah can be trusted because jesus himself validated its truth sharing how his own story was related to the story of jonah historical story of jonah so as we get into the story of Jonah I think I need to uh, kind of set the stage so to speak the old testament sets the stage for Jesus but it is a wonderful story in and of itself uh, but in you, you know the story how Moses was in, in Egypt and the Israelites were there as slaves they come out of Egypt sit, spend 40 day 40 years in the wilderness then they Get into the get ready to get into the the promised land. Moses dies. Joshua takes over. They get into the land and they conquer the land, and then they have about 400 years of judges. And then there's three kings that preside over the United Kingdom, all 12 tribes: King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. Well, King Solomon's son wanted to do the same thing. Rehoboam was his name. Don't you just want to name your son Re- Rehoboam? You're just going down the hallway and, Rehoboam, get over here. It doesn't work for me. Anyway, uh, sidebar. Rehoboam did not follow his, his God the way his father and grandfather did. And what happened is that there's a fellow named Jeroboam. And we'll call him Jeroboam the first because there's another one which we'll talk about with Jonah. But Jeroboam the I took the ten northern tribes and formed a nation called Israel and the southern tribes was the nation of Judah. Unfortunately, Jeroboam the I also set up idols not supposed to do that and said hey these calves these golden calves they're the god that's the god who you've been following all along it was a lie but Jeroboam did that and all the kings of Israel did the same thing and the nation of Israel they were just king after king was killed by others and dynasties fell and all this stuff well, time passes, and we get to the story of Jonah. And Jonah's king was Jeroboam. Different Jeroboam, not related to the first guy. We'll call him Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II reigned for 40 years, 41 years, actually, and he was in the middle of a 100-year dynasty. Four generations in his family served. World events at that time. Israel expanded. And we'll learn about that in just a moment. But Assyria was over there also. Still rising in power. Nation of of Assyria. The capital was Nineveh. Probably the biggest city of that day. So. Let's see what 2 Kings has to say about Jonah. 2 Kings chapter 14 Jeroboam the second extended the boundaries of Israel from Hamath in the north to the Dead Sea in the south, just as the Lord had promised his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, who was a prophet from Gath Hepher. Now Amittai, who was he? He was the father of Jonah. Do we know anything else about him? No, we just know that he had a son named Jonah. That's all we know about Amittai. But he ties into the next verse from Jonah. So Gath-Heifer, where was that? Remember the stories of Jesus around the Sea of Galilee? Gath-Heifer was about 15 miles away from the Sea of Galilee. In the northern kingdom of Israel. And so Jonah had preached and prophesied that the nation of Israel would expand. You just got to believe that Jonah loved his nation, felt good about it, said, Hey, we're going to expand our nation. Things are going to go well. Well, now let's transition to the actual book of Jonah. So, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So we get a little, we understand a little bit about Jonah. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So we know it's the same Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish you get the feeling that Jonah did not like Nineveh. And that is a true statement. Jonah did not like the fact that God told him, go deal with the enemy of the nation of Israel. Go to Nineveh and preach there. And Jonah said, I don't want anything to do with that. And so instead of going 500 miles east to go to Nineveh, Jonah gets in the boat and starts heading 2,500 miles west to go to Tarshish. Some people even think that it was further around and up in the United Kingdom, but probably at least in the southwest part of Spain. Wow. So he he was running away in a ship. The truth of the matter is this. Jonah was a patriot And did not want to deal with Israel's enemies. Nothing to do with Nineveh. In fact, here's the next truth Jonah's hatred toward Nineveh led him to disobey God. God said, Do this. Jonah said, No, I'm going the other direction. Not a good situation. Jonah is not someone we want to emulate. Quite honestly, I don't really want to spend three days in the belly of a fish either. And so, what's the rest of the story of chapter 1? You're familiar with this story. He gets in the boat, and what does Jonah do? He goes down to the bottom of the boat to try to get away, and he goes to sleep. And what happens? Well, what happens is there's a big storm, and the sailors, who deal with storms regularly, they say, man, we're going to die. So they start putting everything overboard to try to lighten the load so that they can stay afloat. <clears throat> then they discover that Jonah's asleep. They said, who are you? Well, he probably said, well, I'm a paying passenger. <laughs> no, he said, I'm a prophet of God, the maker of heaven and earth and the seas. Well, the, the sailors, got, that got their attention. They they did a lot, you know, determined that Noah, excuse me, that Jonah was at fault and said, What have you done? Well, and he said, Well, God told me to do something and I'm not doing it. Oh, well, that's not good. What what should we do with you? And Jonah said, Throw me overboard. Well, the sailors really were not interested in throwing a paying passenger overboard so they tried to deal with it on their own it didn't work and so they said they in turn started praying to Yahweh God of Jonah and they said Yahweh please forgive us for throwing this man overboard they threw him overboard and the seas grew calm It's amazing how God can use interesting circumstances to get his word planted in those whom we don't even know, like sailors on a ship to Tarshish. Yet that's exactly what God did. Well, the story continues, and we'll select some verses from chapter 2 next. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let me just pause. Some people look at this story and say, well, that could not have happened. People wouldn't survive. Guess what? I believe in a God of miracles. And this was a miracle. Jonah not only survived, but he was conscious. And he had a prayer that's recorded in the second chapter. His heart changed somewhat and he submitted himself to god and so jonah prayed to the lord his god and the lord commanded the fish and it vomited jonah onto dry land wow that's quite the story in and of itself even if we stopped right there but the the story continues so then the word of the lord from Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah, perhaps we should insert there, reluctantly, (laughs) obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now what was the message that Jonah had for the Ninevites? It says, You know, he was supposed to proclaim it to the, you know, the message that God gave him. Well, here it it was. He says, now that Nineveh was a very important city, as we talked about earlier. A visit required three days. It's always a big city. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Wow. Doom and gloom is the message of Jonah. Can't you just imagine this this prophet of God who had been in the fish, the stomach of a fish, for three days and three nights. I don't think his skin looked normal anymore. And people listened to this message and said... So God is going to overturn us in 40 days. But what happened to you? (laughs) You know, he looked pretty gross, probably. And he probably just said nonchalantly, well, I I was running away from God and God had me swallowed by a fish. (laughs) And then I got vomited out on the land. (laughs) Jonah made an impression, and God used Jonah. And guess what happens? It says um, the Ninevites believed God. I think I would believe Jonah too after seeing him wandering around Nineveh making this statement and seeing how he was affected. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Even the king got involved, putting on sackcloth and declaring, Hey, perhaps God might change his mind. Well, that's exactly what happens. God changed his mind. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I don't know about you, but I feel good about God changing his mind and not bringing on me the destruction that I deserve. And so the truth of the matter is this. God wanted to use Jonah as his voice for the Ninevites. As a result, Nineveh repented, and God relented. This, you know, if we stopped here, this would just be an awesome, amazing story of God's compassion. But the story doesn't end here. It's, in a sense, it's kind of sad, because chapter 4 of Jonah tells us more about Jonah and so the first verse is this but to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry see Jonah was first and foremost a patriotic nationalist for the nation of Israel that's who he was at his core and he just was mad that God would have compassion on his enemies. He didn't like it at all. In fact, he still was convinced that God really ought to bring down hail or whatever on the city of Nineveh and destroy them completely. So what did, what did Jonah do? He went up on the hillside, sat down, and waited. He was hoping that God would not relent. That God would destroy that city. While he was sitting there, a vine grew up and provided shade. Part of my trips to Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, northern Iraq has, is where Mosul is and near Mosul is Nineveh. And I went And I don't know if it was the same hillside. It may have been, but I went up on a hillside and I looked over the city of Nineveh. I want to tell you, I was hot. It was a hot, dusty day. I would have so much appreciated a vine covering me. Jonah really appreciated that vine. He was so thankful for it. But then something else happened. A worm comes along (laughs) and the vine dies. The, The worm eats into the vine and it is destroyed and the vine withers away. So what does Jonah do? Now he's not only upset about God having compassion on Nineveh, he's now upset about the vine dying. Here's God's response, it says, but, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. In other words, they don't know good from evil, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? And that's how the book of Jonah ends, with that question. Should I not have compassion on your enemies? So, the truth is this. Jonah continued, he continued to hate his enemies, despite God's Compassion. Okay. Cool story of Jonah. Makes us ponder a bit about what his foundational beliefs were all about. Let's you and I now transition to the New Testament and talk about where our allegiance should be. In Philippians 3, 2, it says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, I I look at that and say, cool, I'm a citizen of heaven. How did that happen? Well, it happened because, first of all, Jesus is my Savior. In order for him to be my Savior, I had to get to the point of recognizing that I'm a sinner in need of saving so I want to look at you do have you come to that realization that you have a sin problem that you disobey and you need to be saved Jesus first of all wants to be our savior he died on the cross to take care of our sin problem to die a substitutionary death so that we don't have to suffer the consequences of sin. Is that fair? Praise the Lord, no. (laughs) It's not fair. Jesus took my punishment on the cross with Him so that I don't have to have that punishment. And therefore He saved me becoming my Savior. It was at that point that I became a citizen of heaven. But it's not only that. It says there... It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't just die and stay in the tomb. He proved who he is by coming back to life after those three days and three nights. Just like he had alluded to when he shared the story of Jonah. And so the resurrection of Jesus proves him to be a worthy Lord to follow. I dare say... And I'm as serious as I can be on this. This needs to be your core identity. It should affect absolutely everything in your life. So here's the truth our primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. That's our primary allegiance. That makes us citizens of heaven. Okay, that's. we've gone to the New Testament now. We're going to go back to the Old Testament for one more story. I love this story. Remember when I was t- sharing with you that Moses led the people of Israel through the desert for 40 years. Then they started uh, entering the land, transition leadership to Joshua, and they started the conquest of the promised land. Well, the first city that they were supposed to conquer was the city of Jericho. And you remember that story. They march around and shout and do trumpets, and the walls come tumbling down. Well, before the walls came tumbling down, we have this story of Joshua confronting a man with a sword. So let's read it. It's Joshua 5. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho... He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. You just, you know, big powerful man standing with a drawn sword. Natural question. Joshua went up to him and said, asked him, are you for us or for our enemies? Well, that's a natural question that perhaps all of us have. But maybe it's not the right thing to be asking. You know, sometimes we just start posting things on social media and we have our opinions and we post them. We've, we've lost all sense of filters sometimes. We'll just kind of spout off about what we believe. And then people respond and we just really don't like what they have to say. We'll even unfriend them at times. <laughs> Joshua asked that question, are you for us or for our enemies? The response is telling. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. You see, this man with the drawn sword, probably an angel of some sort, says, I don't care about your temporary agendas. I care about God's agenda. I care about aligning myself with God's overall unfolding of history. I'm on God's side. You know, I'm unfolding a, a new Christian nonprofit here in Kansas called the Church Ambassador Network. We embrace being totally nonpartisan. We want to be on God's side and see His kingdom grow. And so here's the truth God's agenda is not our agenda. Let me say it one more time God's agenda is not our agenda. In the first part of Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, the first words are It's not about you. This life is not about us. It's about God. And we need to figure out what God's agenda is so that we can align ourselves with God's agenda. Now, I'm going to share some truths here. And yes, I'm going to share some political terms. Here's the first one. God loves Democrats and Republicans and has compassion for both just like he has compassion and had compassion for the Ninevites, the the enemies of Israel. That generation of Ninevites humbled themselves. Wow. How about another truth? Both sides of the political and cultural divide need Jesus. It does not matter... If you have an R or a D after your name, you may not know Jesus. If you have an R or a D after your name, you might be trying to follow Jesus. What matters most is following Jesus. Both sides of the political and cultural divide in our land right now need Jesus. Here's another truth hating the other side is a sin and is disobedient to God I use the word hating I, maybe I should just to include you how about using the words strongly dislike <laughs> you know sometimes we just wordsmith things to our liking to make us feel better Oh, I don't hate them. I just strongly dislike them. Here's the teaching big idea. And the teaching big idea requires you to have a little bit of understanding of English grammar. What? (laughs) Yeah. We need to understand the difference between nouns that are primary and adjectives that modify. So here's the teaching big idea. Being a Christian patriot, the noun is patriot. And Christian Patriot. That's what basically Jonah was. He was a God following Patriot. And when God did not align with his Patriotism. He got mad. So being a Christian Patriot is disobedient. It's a sin. Here's the second half though. Being a Patriotic Christian aligns us with God you've heard that I'm an army chaplain one of my first well my first assignment active duty was at Fort Bragg North Carolina and I was working with uh, military policemen that jump out of airplanes I jumped out of airplanes with them a lot While there, I was blessed to be able to pastor a, church, a chapel uh, called Hammond Hills Chapel. It no longer exists, but it was the um, a wooden structure from World War II, and had a wonderful, blessed time being the pastor of that little congregation. And military policemen would come on Sundays and participate. One of them was a military policeman named Blaine Harvey. He was an E6 at the time, and he was only 23 years old, really doing well, going up the ranks. Blaine was first and foremost, when I met him, a military policeman, and he was really good at it. Getting to be an E6 as a 23-year-old is almost unheard of. Oh, by the way, he had Jesus in his back pocket. He came to the chapel services even. Well, after about 6 to 12 months, I saw a transformation in Blaine. See, when I first met him, he was first and foremost a military policeman, and and he had Jesus also. But over that 6 to 12 months, I saw the transformation. And he became first and foremost a Jesus follower. And secondly, a military policeman. It was a fundamental difference because his whole demeanor, his whole definition of success completely changed. He became first and foremost a Jesus follower. He was still a very good military policeman. In fact... He went on, he, be, he went up the ranks, became an E9, was a command sergeant major and retired as a command sergeant major. We're still friends. Every now and then I'll get an email and he'll say chaplain. He still calls me chaplain. He says, chaplain, uh, give, give me your opinion on this and I'll, I'll pray about it and give him my opinion on whatever he's asking. Blaine is still primarily a Jesus follower. His emphasis was not on being a military policeman any longer. Ladies and gentlemen, the current culture war just leads to hatred and division. Here we are on the 4th of July, 2021. The key to unity, hear me well, The key to unity in our land is Jesus Christ. So i got a question as I end. Do you need to repent of any hate or strongly dislike toward any others? We're going to have prayer partners up here in the front. I invite you to join them. And share anything that's on your heart. Let us conclude with a prayer. Heavenly Father, I know that I am proud to be an American, but I am amazed and awestruck at being first and foremost a citizen of heaven. And I declare. From the bottom of my heart, my allegiance to you as my Savior and my Lord. May all of us here, young and old, embrace Jesus being our Savior and Lord as our primary identity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.